Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting our favorite, GT Laborde. This is the second time on the Outcomes Rocket. He is the CEO of Illumicare, bringing over 20 years of experience in information technology to drive sales, recruiting, and growth efforts for the company. He's a graduate of Louisiana State University, where he completed his law degree and practiced as an attorney before co-founding his first medical technology, MedMind. GT is passionate about helping healthcare technology startups grow. He serves as consultant at Eastside Partners, a growth equity investment firm in the Southeast. GT, such a privilege to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, all. Good to be with you again. Yeah, likewise. Obviously, you've been on the podcast before. Folks, if you haven't had a chance to listen to our interview with GT, just go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in GT and you're going to find where he really dives into what they do at Illumicare around really making your EMR work for you, lowering the cost of care, holding your, your physicians accountable, reducing overall just variance in care. So, but that's not what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to talk about COVID, some of the impacts and some of the things that we should be thinking about as we look to solutions to our day-to-day care of our patients. So, so GT, thanks so much for really giving us something to think about here. Where do we start? Well, I guess just maybe a little bit of background of where this data comes from. Illumicare is really in the primary business of making cost of care transparent to to providers. You know, we live in this value-based world and they're told to make value-based decisions. And cost, of course, is a part of the value equation, but yet we don't routinely tell doctors or, or really educate them about the relative cost of different medicines and different tests to help them make the best value-based judgment. So our, our primary business is the real-time costing and transparency to, to providers of every medication and test that they prescribe and to give them insights both clinical and financial as to what maybe cheaper alternatives there are and whether that's appropriate in a given case, et cetera. So we do this business in, in health systems all across the country. And as a part of it, you know, we have real-time data feeds around all lab orders and lab results, all med orders, and, and in many cases, med dispensation and admissions and discharges and, and costs and all these kinds of things. And so it's given us a unique perspective and insight. We were, you know, we were live in many of these places before COVID existed. Um, and then began to see patients test positive for it across our customer base. And have really watched the evolution as it has sort of taken its hold on our health systems. And all the while have been sort of tracking the length of stay effects, you know, and how patients with COVID differ from those that don't, as well as cost associated with them and what drives most of the cost of treating a patient who's COVID positive. And then most interestingly, the medications used to treat them and, and how that's changed over time. So we can kind of work through each one of these, if that makes sense. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And, and you know, you, you've called out a couple really interesting entry points to the discussion. So let's get started. Yeah. So I guess maybe a word about what it means to be COVID positive and hospitalized. So your your first impression when I say that is um, probably a patient who's ICU. in the ICU who's you know on a ventilator, et cetera. But really, 
many of the patients who are COVID positive, that is, you know, um, have a positive PCR test who are hospitalized, aren't really hospitalized for COVID. Um, there are quite a lot of patients who are COVID positive who are there to, you know, to have a baby or they get into an accident or something. So just with that caveat, but we certainly see that patients who are COVID positive certainly stay longer in the hospital than those that, that aren't, probably on average about two and a half days longer in the latest period. And, and we've analyzed kind of about three or four month segments along the way so that we can see, well, how are things changing over time? And in the most recent period, the average length of stay of a patient who's COVID positive is about eight and a half days. But the good news is that that's down from 10 days just a few months back. So you know, one of the good news is there is health systems, hospitals are getting are getting better at treating these COVID patients and we're getting more efficient at getting them out the door, which is great. The cost associated with taking care of them has changed a lot too. Even if you sort of control for length of stay differences and just look at cost per day of taking care of a COVID patient, right now it's averaging about $187 spent on medications, labs, and radiology testing. So these kind of variable costs. And of course, that doesn't include nursing care and PPE and all these other things. Um, our business is to primarily focused on the things that physicians kind of make decisions about, make you know the things that they actually are variable costs that they can control. But that's actually down from about $266 a day. So from $266 down to $187 a really nice reduction. And when we look at kind of the subcategories of spending, really a lot of that reduction has come not really in a big reduction in medication cost or in radiology, but it's mostly been driven by lab cost reduction. So in the beginning, we were spending something like $965 per admission, and now that's down to about $589 in admission. Nice. You know, I should say parenthetically, I forgot to say when we started this, this data is across 10 health systems that cover probably about 180 or so hospitals across seven different states that are geographically dispersed. And this data is around 40,000 COVID positive patients hospitalized COVID. So these are all inpatients. So I forgot to it's mention a good data that. Data set. No, no, I'm glad you. I'm glad you uh, level set there. Thank yeah, you sorry that. about that. No, you're good. Um, so I mean, the overall story there is is very heartening. You know, it, we're getting more efficient both financially as as well as kind of clinically in moving these patients kind of through the process. But there's really been some interesting changes on the medication. So if you if you don't have any questions, we we can kind of we can go to that next. Yeah. No. You know, just to to kind of recap there, taking a look at at what you guys normally do. You're able to derive some of these some of these insights, and overall, we're we're doing better. Providers are doing better, reducing the total stay from eight point five to ten days, reducing the cost from two hundred sixty six dollars down to about one hundred eighty seven dollars. We're making progress, and so that's encouraging. That's encouraging to to hear. And so, tell us a little bit about what you believe. So, why why are we making progress, and what's next? Yeah, I think we're partly making progress. I mean. A little bit on the medications we're using to treat, and just physicians are getting better at managing um, when to use vent, when to use mechanical ventilation, and when to use oxygen support, and so forth. I think it's a great credit to our practitioners when they're confronted with with these diseases that's sort of novel. How they really do we come to learn how to manage these patients just clinically, and it isn't about a magic pill at this point. It's really about managing them medically and optimally. So it's been interesting kind of to see that. Now, while all of this is positive, length of stay is down and costs are down is great. Unfortunately, our health system's now 
here in January of 2021 is, you know, we're swamped with a huge surge. So while while we're getting more efficient at moving people through the process, unfortunately, there are a lot more people showing up at the front door. So that's kind of the downside for our health yeah. systems is to see the, you know, the surge of, of their admissions, the percentages of the hospital that are COVID, you know, that are COVID patients. But hopefully that'll begin to wane sometime soon. Yeah, I hope so. And so let's take the the dive into the next category that you wanted to discuss. Yeah. So there's been, I guess, three stories I wanted to share with you about medications that are used. And and I'll call the first one sort of the boom bust cycles of drugs. Um, I mean, one of them is hydroxychloroquine. Lots in the news, of course. It was touted early on. And, you know, it was seen as sort of a very common, very cheap drug. So let's try it. Right. And there were some initial anecdotal, you know, stories of its of its efficacy. And we saw the spike of its use among our customer base. It, it's not super expensive. It's, it's pretty cheap because it's, uh, because it's actually a, a generic drug. But boy, that has just really gone away. So around by the summertime, that drug wasn't used at all anymore. Um, so it sort of had its boom and its bust um, pretty quickly. Another one that sort of followed that, that track still used quite a, you know, a decent amount, but a drug called famatidine, which is Pepsid basically. So there was, there was some hope that that again was a cheap drug that could, that could kind of help the process. And we saw that also sort of spike over the summer, but it's really kind of waned significantly. And the last one that was really interesting was a, was a super expensive drug. And this drug is called tocilizumab and it is what's called an IL-6 inhibitor. So it's really, it's a drug used to slow down a cytokine storm, it's called. And so in these patients, immune systems are really kind of going haywire. It's designed to sort of slow that process down and allow, you know, patients to kind of recover. And I saw when we did this analysis the last time, so around late in the summer, it was rising. It was the single most expensive drug used to treat COVID patients because it was it cost about $2,400 per admission to use this drug. It's pretty expensive. It was only used on 4% of the people who were COVID positive in the hospital, but it was one of the most expensive. If you just looked at across all the drugs, what do we spend the most amount of money on? It was it was like in the top three, even though it was only used on 4% of the patients. So it was like, wow, uh, there were some studies coming out at that time saying, hey, maybe we should use this drug a little bit earlier in the course and not just patients who had already kind of you know begun a cytokine storm, but maybe we should use it a little more prophylactically. And at the time we were kind of concerned, boy, if that gets a widespread use, that could get expensive fast, oh, right? Yeah. Well, by August, an NIH panel that looked at the kind of evidence around it came out and sort of recommended against its its sort of broad scale use like that. And really, since September, we've almost seen it go away. I mean, it's down to around one percent of patients that get it now. So it's another kind of boom bust. It's interesting that was kind of a very small spike in terms of its overall use, but it was one that was super expensive. And it was like, wow, what's going to happen to this? This could really this could really affect hospitals financially if this turns out to be the medicine. So that's that's kind of one of the interesting things, kind of that boom bust cycle. GT, and you know, you think about the just you, you know, you take a step back and you think about okay, we're and this is a very large sample that you you know you're talking to us about. You think about the challenges and the mindset that goes through providers' mind when they're trying to tackle a problem that we don't have a lot of data on and information, right? So you're reaching for whatever you think could help, and and so. As healthcare's leaders listen to to this data and this message, what would you say is the overarching, I guess, message that they could take back to their teams and and they could take back to their boards? Yeah, my business partner, who's a practicing physician, you know, said he's really never seen anything like this in medicine where we anecdotally lots of things appear to work for lots of things. You know, you can, yeah. but that's not evidence. That's not. We shouldn't base our practice on that. And and look, I get it. 
when you see your your coworkers dying of this disease, I mean, you're desperate. And when it appears, even anecdotally, that something relatively cheap and and relatively benign that's kind of widely used could potentially have an effect. What you could see in this data is we're trying that everything like that mm-hmm. has been given a try, which really leads us to the next drug I wanted to talk about. And it's sort of a success story like that. And it's okay. dexamethasone. So it's a steroid, a corticosteroid. It was one of these that you might say is, is enjoying a boom, boom, <laughs> um, or maybe a bust boom, because in the very beginning of COVID, there was a bit of a worry about giving steroids to patients because there were some history and in previous infectious disease outbreaks where the steroid actually made things worse. And so in the beginning, we sort of shied away from steroids. But at some point, practitioners began to see some positive outcomes using the steroid dexamethasone. And now, you know, it's one of the two main drugs that are that are recommended for use by the NIH and certainly to use at the right time and the right course of a, of a kind of the disease progression. But 64% of patients that are COVID positive in our, in our data set received dexamethasone. So it's, it is very widely used. It is the second mm-hmm. most widely used drug that we see um, patients getting. And its average cost is like $5.21 per admission. So it's a super cheap, you know, this drug mm-hmm. is like 60 years old. So it's sort of the flip side. It was, uh, it was sort of the, the bust a boom story. So sometimes that sort of cunning and that kind of, I guess, experimentation in the field turned out to yield, in this case, a, a fair success story. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And what is it being used for? What's dexamethasone being used for? Yeah, so steroids very generally are anti-inflammatories. Yeah. And, you know, what you have, part of what COVID does to your body is initiate this huge inflammatory response in your body. And so as a steroid, it, it helps to block the pathways that do that and, and help to reduce inflammation. And so it gives your body a chance. And there've been really, some really good outcomes demonstrated in reducing mortality and, and need for mechanical ventilation. So it's really been kind of a sort of a success story in this large experimentation we've been engaged in. Another one that's kind of relatively cheap that is the most used drug that mm-hmm. we see in this entire data set is a drug called anoxaparin or its brand name Lovenox. You know, and it's interesting, this is a, it's an anti-clotting drug and clots have been really the whole time of COVID. We've seen it be an issue where people will get blood clots in their legs or their heart or they'll have strokes or whatever. So we've always, we've always sort of seen this clotting issue. And so we've always kind of suspected this, but a lot of patients were on kind of a lower dose of this drug because it's a, it's a prophylactic treatment for DVT, for deep vein thrombosis. And, you know, if you're going to get you're going to be laying in a bed, in a hospital bed for a number of days, your chances of DVT go up. And so we were giving this drug quite routinely for DVT prophylaxis, knowing these patients were going to be here for a while. But interestingly, and this is just a couple of days ago on January 21st of, of 2021, the NIH just put out a, a news release talking about suggesting that, you know, maybe we should use the full dose version of venoxaparin because it has shown, you know, early signs of reducing ventilator need and, and possibly also reducing mortality. So it's another one. It's, its average cost is about $128 in emission. So it's relatively cheap as well and has definitely demonstrated some efficacy. So um, So we've got a couple of shining successes that are kind of our, so now we really see in this data set, these two drugs are kind of the two go-to drugs. And really the last one I wanted to tell you about is the only other drug that really NIH has said, hey, this is on our, this is on our kind of treatment plan and it's remdesivir. So you may have heard a lot about remdesivir. It got a lot of press and, you know, there was a big study that showed that it was efficacious. And so it was given FDA clearance. And we see 23% of patients who are COVID positive in the hospital getting this drug. 
which is a pretty high number given its sort of special use status. And it isn't a cheap drug. So just so you know. So tell so us let's... more about remdesivir. What, like, what does it do? How much does it cost? Again, it's a drug used for something completely different, it, but it's, it's found to be efficacious in, in COVID patients. And right now, when we look at our data set, the cost is a big fat zero. <laughs> so it's like, wow, this drug is awesome and it costs nothing. It's free. And it's because it's manufacturer. I believe it's Gilead has given away a certain number of doses they've promised at the first, and I forget what it was, like million and a half or something like that doses would be free. So we see in our health system still working off the free doses. And But the challenge with this, and really something I wanted to leave you with and listeners with is, um, this will be fascinating to kind of watch as we go ahead, because they've already come out and said, you know, the price for the five-day course of it has been pegged at $3,120 for US hospitals and insurers. So boy, if we start giving 23% of the patients with COVID a drug that costs $3,120 on top of all the other care and drugs and things that we um, that we use, it's going to definitely drive up the price of, of an average COVID emission. So it'll be interesting to watch this data as we go forward. And hopefully we can, as a health system, can, can get past a surge and get the benefits of vaccines before we really sort of run out of these free doses of remdesivir. And we really are forced to use this at a mass scale and our health systems at those pricing because because it will it will definitely negatively affect the margins, what very little margins there are left for health systems that are having to kind of battle through this this disease. Yeah, no, GT, really interesting. And um, sounds like they're almost setting the hook. It's been effective. And now what? So as as you think about your your health system, if you're a health system leader listening to this remdesivir, you got to dig into that one. Uh, and thanks to GT for, for giving us these insights today. It, it's helpful to dig into the numbers and to get specific. And today, GT did just that, you know, and, and that's something that, that Illumicare does so well. They, they dive into the numbers, they get specific. And on the back end, it's about taking action. On, on what you can find. And so GT, I'm, I'm grateful that you uh, shared these these numbers, this data with us, the risks, the booms and the busts, <laughs> the the different profiles that these patients with COVID are showing up with. And, and overall, gets back to the cost of care transparency. So leave us with a closing thought here, GT, and uh, tell the listeners where they could get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation or explore more. Yeah, happy to do that. Uh, easiest way is to find us on our website, which is illumicare.com. And you'll, I'm sure we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And um, I would just say that look, our hearts are out to everyone who's on the front lines of this fight. We are so appreciative as a country for your for your efforts. It is a scary thing to go to come home from work and spend all day in a hospital crowded with COVID patients and come home to your family. I get it. So I'm, I'm so happy that um, hopefully this vaccine is a wonder drug um, and can protect all of our healthcare workers on the front lines. We're so indebted to what you're doing. And yeah, as far as Illumicare and, and your listeners, we just look forward when this passes, we'll have to find a way to rein ourselves in from throw the kitchen sink at it medicine and get back to value-based care. And if anything, you know, these sort of boom bust cycles are a great that we need to be evidence-based. And, you know, I get the desperation of the moment, but when the, when the moment passes, we're going to have to all figure out, you know, there's going to be a lot of economic carnage left and we're going to have to figure out how to, how to tighten our belts again and how to really operate in a, in a clinically and, and a financially efficient way. And we look forward to doing that and helping hospitals do it. No, GT, really appreciate it. Again, thank you so much. It's all about the specifics and uh, you guys do such a great job of that. Thank you so much and looking forward to, to staying in touch with you. Thanks all. 
Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.